love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, we understand love and we love only because we have first been loved by God, right? And so uh, it is the death of Christ on the cross that is the ultimate example of God's love towards us. Well, let's just begin by, um, by, by the way, I think we're at the time of, of year, or at least today, where um, you guys getting back or you just were never gone to start with? Are they back, or you just didn't go? Okay. <laughs> um, everybody, everybody starts coming in a little bit of time. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, anyways, it's that time. It's a day where it's it's too warm for the uh, heater. It's too cool for the air conditioner. So it's kind of sticky, right? So I, I'm just a little sticky today. So I'm taking that coat off. Hope you don't mind. Last week we uh, talked about as we kind of finished up our look at the church and the uh, as a body of believers and members. The weaker and less prominent members need more care and protection than others. Uh, they aren't to be marginalized but built up. We need them as much as any of us, whether it is immediately apparent or not. And often the most useful members are the ones behind the scenes. Very often that takes place. All members must be cared for by the church or the whole body suffers. There are not any unimportant members. And that's uh, said to one who might tend to look down on another or to marginalize another, but is also spoken to those who feel like they have nothing to offer, and that both of those are wrong for the Lord and, and dangerous for the church. Well, it seems clear to me that Paul's point up to this verse here, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, and we're really not going to get into the first three verses of chapter 13. We have had Jeff read those, but we're really, this is almost an introductory sermon into the concept of love, but also we want to look at verse 31 in the context and see the context of chapter 13. So we're going to kind of introduce chapter 13 today. But it seems clear that Paul's point up to this verse is that the gifts of service and edification are greater and more useful gifts to the body of Christ than, uh, for instance, tongues, which is the underlying theme uh, behind all this. And once you begin to realize what the body is all about, that it is about building each other up in the faith, then you begin to see what is important. What gifts do I have that are important to that? And not to think that, well, I want to be able to stand up in front of people and speak in tongues uh, and, and to be worried about that. You need to do that which is useful and helpful. And, and there are many things that are more helpful than the tongues back in this day. And that's something we'll get into more in chapter 14. So it's interesting that some then read verse 31 as referring to tongues and other showy gifts. When he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, somehow they read that tongues and perhaps the prophecies and uh, healings and things like that, miracles, when he has already marginalized, as we saw last week, tongues by listing at the very last in the list. Um, but they read this as, well, to earnestly desire tongues. Well, the problem is, and we'll get to this in a moment, that as you skip chapter 13, which is a little bit parenthetical, in verse 14, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, 
especially that you may prophesy. So he distinctly says that what's important are those things that edify, and he doesn't even mention tongues in that particular verse. So you can't divorce it from its context. But when you are, don't worry about the context and you're just trying to prove a point, um, or, you know, your theological position, then it's not unusual for, uh, someone to perhaps come at a, come at verse 31 in a completely wrong way. It seems he has also pointed out that, that the gifts are given sovereignly by the Holy Spirit and that seeking some above others immediately focuses your attention on yourself not on what's useful to the church, but this was the problem. They were they were seeing others who were doing the, the tongues and things, and, ooh, I want that. Instead of, Lord, help me to serve the church. What can I do to serve the church? And uh, so we don't want to focus our attention on that, but on what is useful, not what I want. And there are a couple of places in chapter 14 that speak of desiring certain gifts and, and uh We'll get to that, but I want to just say two things about whether it's right for us to desire, which clearly Paul even here says that it's okay to desire gifts, right? But I'll say two things about that right now. First of all, the gift of tongues is not treated as a gift to be especially sought after. We'll see this in chapter 14. But the ones that are most useful to the body. Secondly, the gifts that build up and serve others are the ones that we are to seek. And I think uh, we've already seen that to some degree. Uh, we've seen it in other, uh, other books of the Bible as well. And we'll see it in chapter 13 and 14. Others have used the Greek uh, to the original language here to say that Paul is chiding them for seeking gifts to begin with. And so... Uh, what they say, what, how this should be translated is verse 31, but you are earnestly desiring these greater gifts. Shame on you. Well, again, I, you know, as you've noticed, most all the translations don't, even though it's permissible in the Greek, they don't translate it that way because the context won't allow that. And so he is saying earnestly des- desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. So what chapter 13, at least the first half of it, is going to be about is, okay, while gifts are important, the that which holds it all together, that which causes us to focus and to use our gifts properly is love. And if we forget love, then we've got religion and we've got activity, but we're not doing it for the right reason and we're not glorifying God in it in most uh, often we won't be helping other people as well. And so I think most translations make it very clear here, like, like our, ours here. He is fine with us seeking to have gifts as long as they are useful gifts. So I can pray that God would give me useful gifts so that I can be used in the church. What, what would be wrong with that? I think Paul has already said that. But that is a different prayer than... Uh, praying that God would give me a specific gift because it will, uh, I can use that to my own benefit. I can be seen of others and something like that. So it, it is said that, uh, verse 31b then, with all that said, verse 31b then will be Paul reminding us of the purpose of the gifts and all, and the necessary ingredient that in everything that we do, 
And of course, we know that love is to permeate our entire life and everything that we do. It is to be the motivation for what we do. And so the, as we use gifts, uh, that doesn't change. Love must permeate our use of the gifts. Um, keeping it in the context of the Corinthian church, this isn't then about being able to speak in tongues. It is about edifying the church and meeting the needs and serving others. A gift exercised without that end, you know, to, to love and to serve others, is a useless gift, or at least it is a misused, and it doesn't benefit the one that is uh, doing it. Now, obviously, there are times where you can exercise love, you can serve somebody, and you might not have a good motivation, but you're helping that person. You're, you're doing a good work, but you're not pleasing God with your efforts. You're, you're not doing it for the right reasons. And you'll notice, we'll get into this more next week, but you notice you read verse the first three verses of chapter 13. Paul talks about how that I can use my gifts and accomplish much, but if I'm not doing it in love, all three times he says, I don't benefit from it. See? So I might actually, you know, he might you might prophesy, you might preach, and you might do good. You might be helping others. God uses that to edify God's people. But you're doing it in pride or for whatever reason. Perhaps you're just doing it because it's your job and you've grown cold and you're going through the motions, whatever. So you're not pleasing God. You're not obeying the Lord in a sense. But you're you're doing good. But because but because without love, you can't fulfill God's law, right? We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And so we notice the results there in the first three verses where it voids my service when I help others without love. And so now we're ready to look at chapter 13 where we will see that if one doesn't realize what gifts are for and how they are to be used, he won't use them properly even if it helps somebody else. And so uh, we notice here that love isn't a gift. In 31b, that love isn't a gift, but it is an excellent thing. It is something that is needful. It is something that transcends. It's more important than the gifts. Obviously, gifts are important, but there is there is a motivation behind those gifts that make the gifts pleasing to the Lord. It controls the gifts, you might say. And so the first part of this chapter 13 is one of those passages that we know that can be taught, and in some ways it can be taught completely apart from the context and still be a great study. It it is a study on love. It's not everything that can be said about love, but it it certainly uh, explains love in a beautiful way that that, that is beneficial to do, even if you haven't studied chapters 12 and 14 around it. We understand that. Um, and that's, that's often a, a, not a dangerous thing to do, but it can certainly be done to, to study this out of the context and you would still benefit from it, but that's why we go through a book so that we don't do, do it outside of context. One benefit of studying it in the context is that we see, first of all, that it is, uh, in the context of the local church. This is how we are to serve one another. It applies to the, the local church setting. It is full of general truths of Christianity that apply to everything, right? So it goes beyond that. It is the basis for being a Christian. Love is one of the foundational 
things that are is to be seen and practiced as a Christian. For instance, there is evidence that in the natural world that we were just specifically created to love. That mankind was created to love. I was reading of a man, a, a Dr. Carl Menninger, a famous psychiatrist who founded the Menninger Clinic, who has written this, Love is the medicine for our sick old world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical or mental illness. Now, what he says is true. And, 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 and as far as it goes, it's true. But of course, the problem is that he has said this outside of the Christian faith. He has said this outside of the biblical context. So that while that statement is true, when you devoid it of the biblical context, you don't know what love is. So love, in his mind, might be charity work. Love might be just being nice to people. Love, uh, many say that love is just letting people do whatever they want to do and supporting them in that and never saying no. And so then you end up not practicing love but harm. So you have to, uh, well, but but what he does understand is that this idea of love and of loving others and receiving love is is a necessary part of life, which is absolutely true. But it can't be devoided of uh, devoid of spiritual truth, or it becomes a problem. And that's of course what we're seeing often today. So we cannot. As Christians, let our culture define love or things will run amok. We can come to think of love in terms of feelings and warm affections and romance and desire. It's not that those things have nothing to do with love, uh, you know, our affections and things like that. But that is hardly a full uh, use of the biblical term of love, the concept of love. Often when we say, I love you, and I, when I say we, I'm, I'm saying that in a, in a uh, royal way. When, when men and women say love, I love you, they often mean, I love you and want you. The, what they're saying is, there is something about you that pleases me, so I love you. So in their mind, love is when something pleases you, you have affections towards that and you love. Now, there's an element of that. In most love, in some love, I should say, and certainly in romantic love. But godly love is demonstrated in that what I can, what I can do for you, not just of what you can do for me. Obviously, God did not look at us and see something that pleased him and says, you know what? You please me, so I'm going to do something good for you. The, the, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. While we were sinners, in rebellion, remember, some people forget this, that when it says we are sinners, that means that we hated God, we are enmity with God, we are rebelling against God. While we were rebels, Christ died for us. So he didn't say anything pleasing, but because God is a God who loves and likes to demonstrate that love, he chose to be gracious and loving to some. Now, in one context, he and loves the world, he loves his creation, and he has provided salvation and a general love for, for all. But we know that he has specifically uh, has what we call electing love, chosen to bring 
some, the elect, into fellowship with him. So he has loved the unlovely. And so if all we can think about when we think of love is, I, I see something that pleases me and so I love it. I mean, if you're talking about a, a car, fine. But when you're talking about a human being, or you're talking about someone that you potentially want to marry, and that's, I, you know, I find her pleasing, therefore I want to marry her. What about when you wake up and she's not pleasing you at the time, right? So, so there's, it, 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 there's much more to love than what sometimes the world boils it down to. And this is why so many marriages fail, for instance, because one is focused on how well you fulfill my needs and not the other way around. Love that uses others is clearly evidence of not lo- loving God above that person as well. So if I love you only because you're pleasing me, then as soon as you quit pleasing me or you're not pleasing me as much as I wish you were, then you get you grow tired. Instead of, since I love God supremely, and I, I therefore want you to enjoy the God that I know, and so I want to do whatever I can to help you know God and to, to help you. Flourish in life. That's that's true love. And that transcends the fact that some days we get on each other's nerves. And, and we grow old. And we don't, we're no longer attractive in some way. Right? And sometimes we just have personality. Sometimes you wake up one day and you realize, I didn't realize that she was like that. I didn't realize who I was marrying. You know, and, and the point is, well, it doesn't matter because I have an opportunity to uh, express the love of God towards this person. And the fact that I don't always like what they do just allows me to be more godlike, right? To be more godly because that's what he's done to me. I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything to please God. So if my spouse sometimes doesn't please me, that doesn't change anything. It just gives me a better opportunity to exercise love. This is illustrated by a story that I read some time ago where a pastor, where a woman comes to a, a pastor wanting advice about the man that she was involved with and he had told her that if he loves her so much that if she, if she refuses to marry him, he's going to commit suicide. And the pastor said, well, you know, she said, what should I do? And the pastor says, don't marry him. He doesn't love you. He loves himself. And he uh, sees something that he wants, and if he can't have it, then uh, he's going to kill himself. He, he doesn't love you. He wants to manipulate you. And it's not love. You see how it's, such expressions totally ignore God's will for uh, our lives. Uh, you think about Jesus. He died for those that he loves. But you see the difference. He died so that we might have life. It's like a man who was willing to die for his wife uh, to protect her life, right? Well, that kind of, that's a, that's love. But to commit suicide, to kill yourself because you can't have what you want, is is anything but love. So instead, Jesus told us that love is the fulfillment of the law. And that's we, we, we talk about this quite a bit because I believe it's, it's foundational to the Christian faith. Many, though, again, 
think that that means that all that matters is that I love, and they don't know enough about the Bible to understand what love truly is. It, love is the fulfillment of the law, and we read that. Don't just read, well, love is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are is a summary of God's will for us, of God's law. It's a summary of God, of his nature, and of his will for us. But it's only a summary. It's only ten words, right? So when, when we say love is the fulfillment of the law, we mean that everything... That God would have us do. Our whole duty to God is summed up in loving him totally. And letting that then uh, be spread abroad by loving others. That that's, that reflects the very nature of God. And so it's clear that we were saved so that we can love both God and others. And in a very real sense, Christianity can and must be boiled down to the concept and practice of love. Because God is love. And so uh, that's how we uh, God saved us to reflect his character. Now, God has other things besides love. And we know there's other things that goes on in our faith. But, but it's boiled down to that. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So abiding in love is, I am a person who is to love. I am, I love God, and I want to love others because God has loved me. I want to share that love, and that's who I am. That's abiding in it. And it, and it only really comes as God regenerates us. Now we have to understand then what godly love is, because if you re, if you mystify, or redefine love, then all of a sudden you're going to have a, a very selfish, manipulating love, right? One of the old jokes about mothers, how they, they're, they're the great, they, they know how to put a guilt chip on their kids. And, you know, I'm not trying to say anything. But that's not love. Now, okay, I probably should have brought that, that whole example up. But, you know, manipulation is not love, right? As we talked about with the uh, the, the couple there just a moment ago. So, um, we have to understand what godly love is, and have spoken much about that, and we'll, as we go through these verses, obviously we will expand on all this, but, but for now let's remember that you cannot separate being a Christian, Christianity, and love, and being a loving person. You cannot be a Christian, or at least not be a, the kind of Christian you're supposed to be, if you're not a loving person. Again, some are nicer than others. Some express it better than others, but that doesn't mean that you know the rest of us can't be loving. So be careful that we don't judge merely on how one expresses that love. You know your heart. Great damage is done when we try to make Christianity merely moralism. Uh, you know, law keeping, charity work, because all that is an aspect of love, but it is not. Love. Love is about loving and honoring God supremely and our neighbor as ourself. And, and the problem with making it moralism or charity work is that that focuses Christianity horizontally on man, but it doesn't draw on the source of that love. I love God first, therefore when I interact with man, I do it according to God's will. I don't decide to interact with man and call it love. 
that's why we'll talk about it in a moment, but when you say, I, people will say, if you love me, you will not tell me that my sinful lifestyle is wrong. Well, yes, I will, because I first of all love God. That transcends everything else. And uh, I understand that if you don't repent of that, uh, the consequences are not good. And so I want to tell you the truth. And that makes it, I'm loving you by warning you, right? But if you don't, if you misdefine love, then of course all that falls apart. So just as in the Corinthian church, it is tragic that in many churches, the love basic to Christian character does not characterize the membership or the ministry of the body. They talk about love, but they have misdefined it. They haven't studied their Bible. They have ignored their Bible, whatever, and they have redefined love and missed the point. Their spiritual gifts are present, like in the Corinthian church. They might have the right doctrine. It's present, but love is absent. The reason for the other two was forgotten. The reason for the gifts and reason for good doctrine was that I might exercise love properly, and that is what is uh, wrong. And, and let's face it, 2,000 years of church history has made it clear that it is easier to be orthodox, in, in a sense, doctrinally, than it is to love or to act out that orthodoxy as you should. Because you have, uh, because it's easy again to understand facts, it's not as easy to live those things out, right? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course a lot of the so-called church of the, of church history was void of the Holy Spirit. So it's no wonder that they acted out. You know, so it's no wonder that, that millions of people were martyred and burned at the stake and banished and, and imprisoned and tortured in the name of Christian love. In the name of Christianity, because they, their orthodoxy was all messed up. They did not understand the point. And it's equally wrong to be loving and not doctrinally right. So you can be doctrinally right and not exercise love, but let's be careful that we don't, uh, say, um, well, I, 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 I want to be loving and I don't care about doctrine. Many see themselves as keeping the two great commandments, not because they know so little of the Bible that they end up not loving. Excuse me, I didn't say that right. They see themselves as keeping the two great commandments, but they know so little of the truth of God's word that they don't know how to love properly and do great harm. As I said before, many today think that by embracing sinful lifestyles, they're loving others. I mean, we hear this over and over again, right? But in fact, they are helping to destroy those people. So we cannot emphasize one above the other. You cannot, you don't know how to love if you don't know God's word. And you, you will end up doing more harm than good. But for now, Paul's point is that all the doctrines and gifts in the world don't matter if you aren't exercising biblical love. Now, chapter 13 is regarded by some as the greatest passage Paul ever penned. It has been called, for example, the hymn of love, uh, the, the, a lyrical interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. I have tried to show as we go through epistles 
that generally speaking, the epistles merely expand on the words of Christ. And you can almost always see that as you study through them. And here's an example. Jesus taught us about love, you know, and all that. And Paul is merely expanding under, under inspiration on what Jesus has already said. And it is, it is without that one of the most beautiful passages in human literature. We also understand that it is profoundly important to understand if we're going to please the Lord. I mean, if, if love is a fulfillment of the law, then whatever First Corinthians 13 is telling us can't be more, can't be overemphasized, right? Perhaps for some it's easy to see this as speaking of loving our fellow man, but they ignore the Lord for the most part. And that's why we have to understand this in the biblical context. When we talk about love, when we read in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and, and does envy and boast, it's easy to just think about love horizontally and forget that, no, this, this all is based on our love for God as well. And otherwise, we end up missing the point and going astray. So, uh, for instance, in each case, Paul has, well, excuse me, um, it, it is, while it's easy um, to, to look at chapter 13 as a breath of fresh air in, in this book, right? I mean, Corinthian church is riddled with problems, and some of them are just uncomfortable to even deal with. And you get to chapter 13, you say, oh, well, this is great. Well, let's be careful here, because what's the problem is, is that had the Corinthians understood what love was, there wouldn't have been a need for much of the rest of the book. In each case, Paul has addressed, uh, that in each of the cases that Paul has addressed, had love been exercised properly, along with the necessary instruction of God's word, the problems would have never gotten traction to start with. For instance, chapter 7, right? All the problems that they they had with marriage, with sex, they would have been fixed with these two things. The right doctrine, the right teaching on these subjects, and, just as important if you think about it, um, understanding what love is, how to love one another. Doctrine, the instruction, in other words, what is sex for? What is marriage for? And if they had both of those things, understood both of those things, they wouldn't have been doing some of the things they were doing. So that's what exercising the exercise of biblical love is. It is not us redefining love to suit ourselves. That's why it's so important when Jesus says, if you're going to worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. Because if you just leave it as spirit, then we just start any kind of mystical feelings we have, whatever we do. And Jesus said, wait just a minute, to do what you've got to also, first of all, be instructed in what is right and wrong and true, and then go from there. And so chapter 7, for instance, wouldn't have needed to be written had these two things uh, been taught in the truth in the church, that they had the proper instruction and they had love one for another. Because we have to not know just the how, but we have to have the right motivation. And so that's why we are careful about studying in any chapter in isolation. Because it's impossible to love apart from knowing what the Bible says about love. Even the lost, as we saw there with Dr. Menninger, even the lost 
who are made in God's image have rudiments of his law in their hearts and they can exercise love to some degree, but they can't love God no matter what, right? If you're lost, you cannot love God. There are many who say they do, but what what they end up doing is, uh, because the Bible says they're at enmity with God, so they can say what they want. We know that if you're lost, you're, you're, you hate God and you're enemies with God. Well, what they do is they change the words of God, or they they change their concept of God, that doctrine, which is a form of idolatry. So they can say, "I love God because I have changed God into something else that pleases me," and you know, usually it's something that looks a lot like yourself, because our sinful nature most often redefines love to fit our innate selfishness towards God and our neighbor. So the lost can. Love to some degree, but he can't love God because he doesn't love God. There's no way he can properly love anybody else. You say, well, you know, I know some lost people who have a great marriage. They clearly love each other. Right? They love their children and all that. And, and it's a model for Christians in a sense. Okay, fine. But because they don't love God and they don't know God, they maybe have treated their spouse with just great affection and love, but they have not uh, brought their spouse or tried to bring their spouse to Christ. And so they have made, they have loved their spouse while participating in sending them to hell. And you just got to think these things through. And don't, don't be fooled by what you see in the world because if you don't love God it all falls apart at the end and so this chapter covers the atmosphere in which our gifts thrive on the other hand resentment and pride will quench the spirit right and so spiritual fruit produced by spiritual gifts begin with love and of course we saw that in Galatians we see it in Galatians 5.22 but the fruit of the spirit is love as well as joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All those kind of come from love. <clears throat> and so I hope this is what our lives are producing. This is something that we want to, as we examine ourselves, are we producing these fruits of the Spirit? It is clear that having spiritual gifts doesn't make one spiritual, or maybe better said, doesn't make you godly, which seems to be one of the mistakes the Corinthians were making because they had gifts that they were exercising. They thought everything was good while they were mistreating their brothers and sisters in Christ. They thought they were they were spiritual. To some degree they were, but they were not Christ-like. And that's the ultimate goal. If, if you are a godly spiritual person, you are Christ-like. Unlike the man who threatened to kill himself out of love, God gave his life for us in order to actually give us eternal life. It's a true love, as we'll see, is sacrificial in such a way that actually accomplishes good for its object and that teaches the same how to glorify God. So if I love you, I will be the one who sacrifices. If my love always makes you the one who's got to sacrifice, something is wrong. John, of course, in uh, chapter 13, we read, uh, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, this is new because they were told to love in the Old Testament, but they did not have the example of love in Christ because he hasn't come yet. 
and they did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, either. So this is a new situation I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So now they, we have the understanding of what God really wants in us. Then he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because if, if you don't love, you, you, haven't, you don't know the God who is love. And uh, then in John 13, 1, we see another example of this. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, this doesn't mean that, the, the word end here doesn't mean at, at end of a period of time. So he, he loved him until this certain point. It means to the completion of something. Jesus was sent to to do something for us, and he he loved them to that to accomplish what he came to do. That's what love is. Jesus is the perfect example of what love is. It didn't matter how undeserving those disciples were, how uh, you know all the weaknesses that they had. He loved them fully to accomplish what he was sent to do. Uh, in Romans 13, 8, we read, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law or the commandments. And he, and he, Paul always does this. He, he lists a few, but always, but never all of them. Because that's not his point. The commandments say, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And is anything else? Because it's a summary. Because there's so much more to holiness. So whatever you say, Lord, what is your will for me in my life? If I love God and I love one another, I will act out every exactly what God wants me to be in this life. So he says, it's summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this goes back to what I said earlier, is the motivation behind any godly act, if it's not present, then it's not a godly act. And that we'll see this according in the first three verses of chapter 13. So it's clear from the beginning that everything we do must be in obedience to the Lord and for his glory and for the ultimate good of others. And the ultimate good of others is not just feeding them and making them comfortable in the flesh. The ultimate good, the ultimate expression of love towards anybody else is always to build them up in the faith, to bring them to Christ, and to help them grow in the Lord. Anything else is secondary. We might do good works to them in order to reach them. We might help somebody because we we pity them, because we're concerned about them for some reason. That's all well and good. It is love to, to do those, to help people in their needs. But the goal is always to glorify God in it in some way. And so we, when we examine ourselves, these are things that are very important for us to look for, the motivation. This love requires great personal sacrifice, and it's far different than just accepting everyone's sinful lifestyle so that we don't offend them, so they can just go to hell without confrontation. That's why I say love does good. Love is not just affection and wanting someone to be happy. Because they might be happy in their sin, but eventually they're not going to be happy in their sin. And you 
were responsible uh, in that sense because you would not warn them, but you just said, well, I want to just be nice. Love is not just being nice in that sense. I heard someone say here recently that if you're in a place where you can be comfortable in your sin, you're probably not in church or not in a real church. We don't come here to be comfortable in our sin. We come here to hear a word from Christ to expose our sin so that we can live more godly lives. And that includes those who come into this church. Uh, we're going to tell you the truth from God's word and let the chips fall where they may. And in that, we we love you in the best possible way. Right? All right, well, we'll stop there today. Uh, that kind of introduces the whole subject, as it were. Any Any questions or comments? We'll pray for the uh, food, and then when it's ready, we'll jump right in. Brother George, do you please uh, ask the Lord's blessings on the food? Close us out in prayer. Father, we do thank you. Thank you that through your word, that draws us up. We ask one of the 